All right, sit down, sit down before I cry. Sit down. Uh, I am going, I'm going to sit for most of this service, most of this message. So Trey, when are you going to sit? Well, y'all get to sit, so I think I should get to sit, right? Y'all get to take a, take a breather. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit and I'm going to teach uh, this Revelation 3, this church that we're going to look at today, the church of Sardis. I'm going to sit for most of it. And then at the end, I'm going to get up and preach. Is that all right? Can I preach a little bit today? So if you have your Bibles, once you grab them, Revelation chapter three, we're going to start in verse one, start in verse one, Revelation three, verse one. Uh, this is the church of Sardis. Everybody say Sardis. So we're talking to the, the church of Sardis today. We've talked to a whole bunch of churches over this series over these last several weeks. And, um, you know, some, some of you in your Bibles, they'll have headers, like descriptions of the churches. Some of them may have said like the, the persecuted church or the compromising church, the church that lost their first love or the loving church. Um, these last couple of weeks, we saw the compromising church and the corrupt church. Well, this week, I, I get the privilege of talking about the dead church. And I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the pastors of these churches that Jesus is writing letters to, like, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take corrupt and compromising over dead. I mean, I, you calling us the dead church. Can we just declare today that we, we will not be a dead church? We will be an alive church? Come on. Oh, I like, I like this 11 a.m. service. Y'all got some energy. It may just be the Red Bull in me. I don't know, but I'm, I'm feeling good. Uh, Revelation chapter three, verse one, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Um, we could talk about that for just a second. Uh, scholars debate over what that means. Can we just agree today that, that, that we're gonna refer to that as the Holy Spirit? Uh, that holds the seven spirit. There is not seven spirits of God. There is one Holy Spirit. I know you, you maybe you're new to church. You're thinking, what does that mean? There's seven Holy Spirits. Um, we can we can discuss it later. I don't have time, but I uh, but but we know that there is one Holy Spirit. That Jesus Jesus is the fulfillment of the Godhead. That He is three in one. God is three in one. He is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and He's saying that. We need the Holy Spirit and the seven stars. You say, what are the seven stars? Well, if you remember Revelation 1, we, we hear that the seven stars are the seven angels of the church. The, the word angel is not necessarily meaning the supernatural uh, angel, but it just means messenger. So we know that he's referring to maybe the pastors of the church, the messengers of the church. He's saying, I hold, isn't that good news that like God holds the pastors of the church? God holds the church. It's not my church. It's not Pastor Chris's church. It's not your church. This is God's church. He says, I'm, I hold the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse two, wake up. Touch your neighbor. Say, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Verse three, remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You will not know at what time I will come to you. Verse four, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. In other words, there's a, there's a remnant of people. There's a few people that are, are on the right track. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. 
The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. And then he concludes, like he concludes all the letters, whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. God, we, we need you. That's what we're here to do. We're here to listen to the Holy Spirit. God, if your presence isn't here, what, what are we doing? Are we just... We need to hear from you today. So God, I pray that you'd speak to us. You change us. Let us never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, these, these churches, uh, this city in particular, Sardis. Sardis was a, uh, started out great. Start, started out, it was a prominent city. It was a well-known city. It was a wealthy city. As a matter of fact, um, Sardis, it was believed to have uh, been the first to have minted coins as currency. Um, so you can imagine that this would be a, an influential city. Uh, at one point, it housed the, the wealthiest family of its time. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a secure city. It was a strong city. It was uh, a powerful, influential city. And we hear that in uh, Revelation 3, Jesus is looking at this church and saying that, Hey, they, they look like something on the outside. They look like they're doing something. They look like they're alive, but Jesus says they are something else. Isn't that a scary thing? Isn't that a scary thing that, that you can have the appearance of doing everything right? That you can have the appearance of righteous activity, but on the inside be dead? I know I, we like... I got you up against the ropes. Like we're just a couple of minutes in. I'm sorry. I know this is a little aggressive right off the bat. You're like, whoa, what, what are we doing? Uh, but, but it's true that, that we could have the appearance of being alive on the outside, but be dead on the inside. In fact, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Are we living in the last days? I don't know, I'm just gonna read the Bible and it says that there's gonna be some people that show up in the last days. Let's see what kind of people those are. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. Some of y'all are like, oh, we definitely living in the last days. I got some disobedient kids ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look at this, verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Oh, can I tell you that there can be some people in the church today who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. You look like you got it all together on the outside, but there ain't nothing happening on the inside. You can look, y'all gonna have to help me out this morning. I know we're talking about the dead church. I know it's not fun, but y'all gonna have to talk back to me today that we can have this appearance, this appearance of life and activity and holiness and goodness, but, but be dead on the inside. The church in Sardis, I think it lets us know that some of us, we could even care more about our reputation of being alive. And our faith only comes alive on Sunday. But then Karen makes us mad on Tuesday. And we can speak in a tongue that needs no interpretation. 
Like, we, we got this faith that shows up in church, but then what happens on Wednesday? We, we got a faith that shows up during worship, but what happens when you're trying to parent your kids? That we have this appearance that, hey, I'm, I'm going the direction I'm supposed to be going. I'm, I'm living the life I'm supposed to live, but if you really saw what was deep down inside, you would say, uh, it's, it's, it's dead. It's dead. Sardis was built on an Acropolis. An Acropolis is, think of it like this, as like a, a, as a high place. It, you know, built on, um, I think we've got a picture of an Acropolis. It's going to show up on the screens right now in Jesus' name. It's gonna, there it is. So, so this is an Acropolis outside of Athens, Greece. You can see that it's built up on these cliffs. It's built up on these high mountains. And this was uh, intentional. This was part of their defense strategy. It's, it's, it's so that it would be difficult for an opposing city, an opposing army, an opposing people to come in and attack. I think we'd go to the next slide. This is actually a portion of what is believed to be the church of, or the city of Sardis. So you can see that their walls are, are on this cliff, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to get into. And, and so the church at Sardis, they thought they were impenetrable. They thought they were impregnable. But the truth is that they were conquered two times. They were invaded twice. And do you know how they were invaded? At about the fifth century, uh, the Persians came to the city and they couldn't get in. They were right. Sardis was like, you, you can't, we can't get in. We can't get in. And they were laying in wait and watching, and one of the guards who was on the towers, who was on the wall, one of the guards fell asleep. He fell asleep, and his helmet fell off of the wall, and he had to go down and retrieve it. And how he went down was this secret sort of crack, this crevice, this, this only way that nobody would have known could, could give them access to the city. He, they, he began to make his way down to retrieve his helmet. And the Persians saw this happening and saw that's how we're going to get in. And, and when the rest of the guards were asleep at night, they went in under the cover of darkness while everyone else was asleep and invaded the city, opened the gate let their army in. They were able to regain control, Sardis was, and then again, uh, a few hundred years later, the Greeks came in. And you would think they had learned their lesson. You would think they would have been more watchful. You would think they would have been more ready. But guess what happened? The guards fell asleep again. And the, the Greek army was able to invade the city the same way that they had done before. And I think that much like the church in Sardis that we read in Revelation 3, that there, there are some of us in the church today who have fallen asleep. You, you've fallen asleep. Your faith, it's not what it used to be, and you've fallen asleep. The, God, God calls this, this church dead, like, but, but he says, wake up, says that, that you can wake up. Here's the good news today. Right, because I'm not just going to come at you and hit you. I'm going to give you some hope today. The good news, the good news is that with God, even things that have died in your life, He calls asleep, and He can wake them back up in Jesus' name. And so today, I'm thinking some of you are coming back awake today. You're going to wake up. Come on, want you shake your neighbor, tell him wake up. I'll come on. You you got to get involved. Hey, hey, there's two types of parents in the room right now. 
There's two types of parents. Some of you are the parent that um, you just, you know, when it's the morning time, you go in your kid's room and you sit on the bed and you just rub their back and say, good morning. It's a beautiful day. We got to we got to wake up. It's time to get up. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be, you're already, you're just speaking scripture over your kiddo. Some of you, probably most of you are like me. You don't, you don't care about the adrenaline dump they're going to have later. It's like, I got stuff to do. Flip the light on, yank the covers off. Wake up. We got to get going. Listen, that's what Jesus is doing to this church today. He's not the first parent. He's the second one. He's like, you got to wake up. You've been sleeping for too long. You have fallen asleep at the wheel. Some of you have fallen asleep in your marriage. Some of you have fallen asleep in your role as a husband and your role as a wife. Some of you have fallen asleep in your calling. You had a, you had a passion for God at one time and it has dwindled. It has, and it's almost like it's dead. It's like you, you had dreams at one time and now it's just like I'm just asleep at the wheel and I came on assignment from heaven today to tell you to wake up. Wake up. So how do we fall asleep? What are some ways that we may have fallen asleep? Well, the first one I want to share with you is, number one, we, we fall asleep by believing lies from the enemy. Uh, Cass hit on this earlier. It's so true. She did such a, such a good job that, that some of you have been believing lies that the enemy has been telling you. And what it's caused to do, it's, it's almost like you're inhaling this amnesia of deceit. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're asleep. You've been asleep and you don't even realize it. That the enemy will get you to count back from 100. And before you know it, you're out. Notice how he does it. Uh, Genesis chapter three, we, we see in Genesis that God creates Adam, he creates Eve, and then he puts them in the garden. This beautiful, this, this amazing garden says, this is yours. This is, it's yours. You have dominion over it. Work it, eat from it, harvest it. It's, it's yours. All of this, you get, guess what? You get to eat from all of these trees, all of the trees, it, except this one tree. Don't eat from this one tree. But all of these others, you can eat the fruit. You can, you can reap the harvest. You, all of these trees. And he puts them in this garden that's, per, they're not perfect, but, but they're innocent. They're innocent because they, they have all of this grace, all of this favor from God. And then in Genesis 3, we see that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say you must not eat from fruit, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Notice that the devil doesn't come directly and just offer the fruit. Read it. Remember, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, any of the trees. 
Come on, that's, that's broad and that's, that's generous. But then the enemy comes in and he whispers this deceit. He whispers this lie and he, and he says, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees? Hold on, no, no, no. He said, I could eat from any of the trees. But then the enemy comes in and says, he said you can't eat from any of the trees. So he takes what God meant to be broad and generous and he makes it narrow and restrictive. And he tries to get you to believe a, a lie. A, an untruth. He, he, he gets you to believe the deception. And here's how, here's how it plays out in our life today. Because, come on, can we just all agree that life is hard? Like, it's hard. Come on, like, I wish I had some prettier way to, to say, the more eloquent way to say it, but it's just plain, simple. Life is hard. And what the enemy does is because life is hard, if you're not careful, you'll begin to inhale this anesthesia of deceit. And he doesn't just come out and say, hey, you should turn your back on God. That would be too obvious. We would catch it. We're like, no, no, I, I can't do that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna do that. But he starts to whisper little, little lies that says, does he really know what's best for you? Why did he let that happen to you? I think he's holding out on you. And if you're not careful, you can begin to believe these, these little, these little untruths, these little lies, these little deceitful whispers from the enemy. And if you steep in that long enough, you'll start looking for ways to distance yourself from God. You'll start looking for ways to distance yourself from the people of God. When you, when you steep and sit in the lie and the, the deceit from the enemy, when you start to, to, to listen to those lies and you spend so much time thinking about it and ruminating on it and meditating on it, that, that you will begin to distance yourself from God. And then you'll distance yourself from God's people. So somebody offends you. Which, by the way, can I just tell you, the Bible says that it's impossible to go through life unoffended. You're, you're going to get offended. Guess what? It's impossible to go to church for any amount of time and not be offended. The church is going to offend you. Christians are going to offend you. Pastors are going to offend you. And if you're not careful, when the enemy slithers into your life and, and whispers in your ear, that should have never happened to you. They shouldn't have done, I can't believe they did that to you. Do you see what God's done? I think he's, if you steep in those lies, you'll wake up one day and you have drifted so far from God. You had no intentions of ever going that far. You had no, re, you had no understanding that this is what was happening. As you believe these lies. Did you, did you know you can believe lies about your past? I've said this before, but I think the only enemy, the, the only weapon the enemy has against you is your past. That's the only weapon. If, if, it's, if it's been a great past, if you've got a great story, he'll say it's never gonna get any better than this. If you had a rough past, if you had a hard past, he'll say you're never gonna get past this. He can, he can sell you lies about, about the past. You see, Sardis at one time, 
Sardis was this great, powerful city, and they couldn't even, they had been, they had gotten so complacent and comfortable, and they had gotten so used to how things were, and they had gotten so used to, to, to their life that, that, that they began to fall asleep, and, and, and culture came in, and society came in, and started to decay, and they, they, they never confronted it. We'll talk about that in a second, but they never confronted it, and they never addressed it, and they maybe began to believe some, some lies of, you know, this is okay, and maybe I should allow this, and maybe I should go here. And, and, and then what happened is they, they needed to change things. Come on. I mean, their guards fell asleep. They were invaded twice and they, they never took an honest evaluation of their life. They never took an honest evaluation of their city or the church. And, 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 and what happens is they begin to decay without even knowing it because they were so stuck on the good old days. No, no, we got this. Remember how it used to be? Remember how good we used to be? Remember how we were? We don't need to change anything. We're, we're good. Do you know we can do the same thing? Have you ever noticed that the further you get away from something, the better you paint it in your mind? Like my wife and I, we moved here from Mississippi. It was like uh, 2,000 something miles. It, it was like 22 hours, whatever. And, and can I just tell you, um, if, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's no way you can survive a road trip like that with three kids, a dog. My mom was traveling with us, a U-Haul. Can I just, can I just tell you, like, I thought it was going to be easy. It was terrible. It was terrible. Like, I love my kids, but I had some, some thoughts that just creeped in. I, like, what in the world? They can only watch so many movies. Like, I mean, the fights, the arguments, the I'm hungry, I gotta pee. I got like, my goodness, come on, what, what are we doing? This is, this is terrible. And we vowed we will never, ever do that again. I will not travel. I, whatever I gotta do, if we can't fly, we don't go. And, and then what happens is the further away we get, we start thinking about like, you know, we go visit family holidays. Plane tickets are outrageous right now. We got five kids. They don't pay rent. Like, what are we? We got five kids. We got a family of five. Jesus, don't, I don't speak that over my life. I don't have five kids. I got three kids in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that lie from the enemy right now. But we're a family of five. We can't can't do that. And, and we started having conversations like, you know, it wasn't that bad. Like we could, we could probably do it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that we could, we could, we could get there faster this time. We could, we, we start, then we start making excuses and trying to find reasons, reasonings around it. And, and, oh, oh, you do this too. You do this too. Like you start thinking, I know like your relationship's bad right now. And you start thinking about, well, if I had that, you know, that guy, the guy that I used to have, but then you don't remember how he lied to you and you don't remember how he manipulated you and you don't remember how he treated you because you paint, you paint the past better than it really was. Come on, some of you, some of you do this like the good old days, like the glory days. Some of y'all can't, you're like, I was talking to our interns. They helped me write this message. So it's our, our worship and production interns. We talked about it like this. Like you're like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. You just, you're living in the good old days. Can I tell you, you weren't that good. 
But the further away we get from something, the better we paint it in our minds. And if we're not careful, we'll believe a lie from the enemy that we should go back to what we used to do, who we used to be, how we used to live. And before you know it, you have fallen asleep at the wheel of your calling, of your destiny, of your purpose, and you don't even know it. My goodness, I got to hurry. Y'all trying to get me to preach right now. I'm just trying to teach it. So not only can you fall asleep by buying the lies, lies of how it used to be, lies of, man, wait, some of you are still crying over what you lost. And I, I think about Samuel. Samuel was the prophet that anointed Saul to be king. And then Saul started doing crazy stuff. He started messing up. He, he's, it, it was wild. I wish I had time to teach that. I wish I had, had time to teach that, that, that Saul became anointed and then named king in one week. And, and David became anointed and became king in like 15 years. And, and how the difference between king in a week and king over time. And how sometimes like you're called, you have this idea, this dream of who you want to be and where you want to get. But if your character can't support your calling, You'll end up failing like Saul did. And so I wish, I don't have time to preach that. I wish I had time. We'll, we'll do that another time. But some of you are so caught up in what you used to have. Samuel, the scriptures that Samuel says, see, he's crying over Saul. Why can't I get Saul? Why can't Saul act right? Why can't I, I just wish Saul was, was who I knew he should be. And then Jesus is like, hey, 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 uh, why are you crying over Saul? David's out in the field. I need you to go anoint him to be king. But some of us, we get so caught up on what we lost and what we don't have when God's saying, hey, why don't you focus on what you do have, what I can use, what I can work with. I gotta, I gotta move on. I gotta move on. So you can, you can fall asleep by believing lies. The second thing is burnout. Burnout will knock you out. Now, I got to be careful with this because burnout is a trendy phrase, especially in the church. In fact, some of you, some of you have stopped serving and stopped attending small groups and stopped engaging in the things of God and the purposes of God for your life because you feel like you've burned out. Now, I, I want to be clear. Health is imperative. It's important. You, you need to be healthy. You need to, soul care is an important thing. I hope you're gonna love me after this because hear me, nowhere in the Bible have I found that God tells us to stop engaging in the things of God in order to get healthy. However, what I have found is that when you engage in the things of God, Health is a result. Uh, I need the proof text for that because I'm feeling pretty burnt out. Matthew 11, chapter 28, read this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anybody ever been weary and burdened? Ever, anybody ever felt exhausted, just burned? I, God says, I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now, some of you think yoke is Greek for spa. That you come to me and I'm going to give you a vacation and a spot. And, and you think it's Hebrew for like, for, for bathrobe and a massage. And, and can I, can I just tell you, yoke, it's a working tool. It's a, it's farming equipment. It's like God's saying, what's he saying? He's saying, come, come do my work. 
and I'll give you rest. You come focus on what I've called you to do and I'll give you peace. I'll give you a real rest. Look what the, I, I love what the message translation, cause I don't have it in my notes. So we have it up there on the screen. The, the next, next scripture, uh, in the message, this is the paraphrase, paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Things going to come. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Look at this. Walk with me and what? Work with me. Watch how I do it. Oh, I love this phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How many of you want to live like that? The unforced rhythms of grace. I want to be, I want to be operating in a rhythm of grace. I want... See, here's the thing is that when you're operating, I think it's the difference in operating in the flesh and operating in the spirit is that you tend to get burned out when you're trying to do things in your own power, in your own strength, in your own plan, your own desires, your own goals. I'm trying to make this happen. And then for some reason, we start to think that, that, that it's the, the, the spiritual side of things that's causing me to be burned out. So, so even though my kids play every single sport and we never have a weekend outside of playing sports, I better quit serving at church because I'm obviously burned out. Y'all still love me? But God says, no, 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 no. If you'll, if you'll work with me, I'll give you rest. You work with me, I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. You, you stay engaged in the things of God and you're, you're gonna be filled up. You're gonna find peace. You're gonna find rest. You're, you're, you're gonna, your heart's gonna be so full of life. But when we focus on doing things of our own agenda, on our own plan, and in our own strength, that's when we get burned out. I've got to hurry. The third, third thing is some of you don't just burn out, but you burn up. Production team read that. It's like, man, you're going strong. We're talking about like burn up, burn up, like for real burn up. It's just the best phrase I could, I could come up with. I'm not talking about hell, but uh, some of you, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but you, you burn up. Like, look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. Jesus is telling a parable about some seeds. And he says that the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Like at one time you were all on fire. You were passionate. You had that, you had that moment with God. Like maybe you came down to the altar or it was during worship and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel the presence of God. But then since they have no root, they last only a short time. They burn out. They burn up. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Because you had that moment with God. But can I tell you that faith is more than just about those goosebumps moments? I wish, I wish it happened all the time. I wish I could tell you that every time I sit at the table and open up my Bible that I just have these like Holy Ghost kind of moments where it's like fire and I'm just, I'm feeling it. But can I tell you that a lot of times it's just like, what? What are you saying? I gotta do, what? Now there are times where it's, Oh, you, I can just feel the presence of God. But, but, but some of you, 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 you're just chasing like emotional high after emotional high. 
You're just chasing the, and so, so when you have it that one time and you don't know what to do with it, then you just always, you're trying to stir up that feeling. When in reality, faith, we think of faith as big faith. But really, I think we should focus on small faith because sometimes we got to focus on just showing up and reading our Bible again, even though we didn't get anything the day before. Sometimes you just got to keep praying, even though you haven't heard the answer yet. Sometimes you just got to keep showing up to church, even though you, you know, you still feel stale and you still feel stagnant. Like that's faith. Faith is just keep showing up. It's little faith. It's faith that gets rooted down deep. That's why, that's why some of you like you're church shopping and I get it. You got to find something that speaks to you. I guess I, I just, you got to find a church that you can get rooted in. And if it's not citizens, that's okay. But find a church that you can find a church that you can give to, that you can serve in, that you can get in a small group, that you can show up full, like excited to get there. You got to get rooted. Otherwise you're just going to burn up. You'll have that one spiritual moment and it's awesome. And then you have no, you don't know what to do with it. That's why it's imperative that you study the word of God. It's imperative why you talk to God. I think sometimes we talk more about God than we talk to God. That's why these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices are so important. We don't talk about them a lot in church because we think they're elementary, but we're elementary Christians sometimes. We, we gotta know, like I gotta read my Bible and I gotta pray and I gotta be in community and I gotta show up to church. C.S. Lewis says this, relying on God must begin again every day as though nothing had been done before. Day one. Thank you, coach. You just get up here and preach with me. Somebody helping me this morning. Number four, comfort. Comfort will put you in a sleeper hold. Remember the church of Sardis, they thought they were impenetrable. They got comfortable and they fell asleep. Hold on, Trey, isn't comfort a good thing? Yeah, yeah, comfort, comfort's good. God, God wants to comfort you. The Holy Spirit comforts us. Comfort is good when you get it from the right source. But some of us are looking for comfort in all the wrong places. You see, some, some of us, we got, we got comfort foods. Ah, oh, don't look at me like you've never ate the whole bag of Oreos. Come on, somebody. We got comfort, but since y'all trying to be all dietary on me, y'all ain't going to give me any feedback. So some, some of you, some of you got comfort friends. They're good to you, but they're not good for you. Some of you get these comfort relationships. You know, this isn't the right thing to be in, but they, they make you comfortable, make you feel comfortable. So as we just get in the habit of, of being comfortable, we're just chasing comfort. But in reality, that when you come to Jesus, the source of your true comfort, there will always be confrontation. He's always going to address something in your life that needs to change, that needs to adjust. And when you do that, that's when comfort will come in. But comfort without confrontation always leads to complacency. And there's some of you who have become complacent. You've been complacent in your marriage when God says, I got more for it. You've been complacent in your spiritual life. 
You think just showing up to church and throwing a couple of bucks in the container and it passes your way, like that's, that's good. But because says, I've got more, you've become complacent, even in your purpose, the dreams that you once had, the, the purpose that God has placed on your life and complacency will lead to death every single time. That's why it's important that you get in a small group. In, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be launching the, our, our next season of cruise. We're going to be launching it to, uh, um, ask leaders to lead. And then it's our next season of cruise starts on September the 3rd. You need people in your life who can hold you accountable when you're falling asleep at the wheel. And this is something we don't talk about a lot, but I think this is more important. You need people that can hold you accountable. Those are people that like are in the same sort of stage of life. They're kind of going through the same things. You, you, you hold each other accountable. Some of you, and especially for young people in the room, young adults, like, can I just tell you, you need people in your life, not just accountable, but editable. That you give them a red pen and give them some authority in your life and say, hey, the things that you see in me that aren't working out that I should be changing, you have like permission to like X those things out, circle this, change this. You need some people in your life that can speak into your life with authority and confront some things in your life to shake you out of this slumber that you're in, this complacent sleep that you have fallen into. And as the worship team comes, I'm closing. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse six says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. This word awake and sober is this idea of being watchful. It's, let's, let's wake ourselves up out of this slumber. Like I think there's some of you, you you've fallen asleep in some areas of your life. There's some areas that if, if we were to look at it, it may look like it's alive on the outside, but in reality, it's dead. I think there's some men in here who have fallen asleep in your responsibility. As a husband, as a father, as a man of God, there's some women in here who have fallen asleep in their responsibility as a, as a wife, as a mom, as the calling of God on your life. There's, there are some businesses that, 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 that man, they've just, I know to you, it's like it's, it's died. If you really look at it, like the dream has died. The passion has died. For some of you, I think there's some, some people in here who you at one time had some fervent faith, had some powerful, passionate faith. But over time, whatever it is, I don't know, life is hard. Maybe you've believed some lies or you've gotten too comfortable. But whatever it is, you've just seemed to fall fallen asleep in your faith. Can I tell you that the good news is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can come alive today. There's still hope for you today. In fact, I've saved the title of my message for the end because now I, I wanna just, I wanna prophesy over some of your lives today because here's the title. Will you help me teach the title of my message? Will you look at your neighbor and tell them to say, he's not done with me yet. Oh, come on, they were snobby. Why don't you look at your other neighbors? Say, he's not done with me yet. 
Listen, there are some of you that there are, you're looking at the, the remains of your life. Some of you are looking at your marriage and, and, and on the surface, y'all have tried to keep an appearance that it's okay, that it's alive. But when you really look at it and you look at the, at what's going on at, at home and in conversations, you say it's dead or it's hanging on by a thread. Can I tell you, he's not done with your marriage yet. For some of you, your faith has been dormant and fallen asleep. And you say, I don't really have any vigor or passion, but can I tell you this morning that he's not done with you yet? There's some of you who have once had dreams and passion and purpose, and you were excited about what God wanted to do through your life, and you were excited about what he was going to do in your family, and but over time, you've fallen asleep. Can I tell you, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. I'm reminded of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a famine in the land and the prophet Elijah has been, God has been providing food and water for him at a brook and birds have been bringing him food and the brook dries up and God tells the man of God, I've actually prepared a meal for you at a widow's house in this town called Zarephath. And so we pick up 1 Kings chapter, chapter 17. And it says this, I'm gonna start reading in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called back. He said, oh, wait, 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 wait. And, and, and bring me a piece of bread. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread for me from what you have from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Can I tell you, what do we do with us falling asleep in our life? What do we do with what's like, it's dead, Trey. The marriage is dead. The business is dead. My family seems dead. I just got pieces here. I just got remnants. I, I love what Jesus tells the church of Sardis. Here's the, here's the solution. As he's told every church, it is to repent. That means change your mind, change your direction. Wake up. You got to wake up. But then he says this, three words. He says, strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. No, you don't understand, Trey. I, I don't have it. I don't have it. Sometimes God will ask something from you that you don't have fully formed yet. But the good news of our God is that he can work with what you got. I know you want this. I know you want this. You want the bread. You want the promise. You want the fulfillment. But sometimes all you've got is what's left. Sometimes all you got is a little bit of oil and you got a little bit of flour. And can I tell you that God can work with a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and he can bring back to life the dead things of your life when you submit them to God. 
God. Citrate, it doesn't look like much. All I've got is a little oil, but that's all God needs. You still got a little oil. I, I came to tell you that that marriage has still got a little bit of oil. As I said, that business has still got some oil. Those dreams, that purpose for your life, it's still got some oil. And God can use what you have left. I love that God's not just the God of what we have. He's not just the God of what we've lost, but he's the God of what we have left. What we have left. I know it doesn't look like much. It's pretty. It's not pretty. It's broken. It's dysfunctional. But God, when I give it to you, you can make something out of nothing. You can make something out of the remnants. I just need to give you what's left. Just strengthen what remains in my life. Oh, would you stand up on your feet right now? Would you just stand up and in faith begin to declare to God, God, I'm giving giving you what's left. I know I don't have a lot. I know I don't have it all together. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look functional, but I've got something left in the tank and I'm going to give it to God and see what he can do with the little that's in my hand. In the room right now, if you say, Trey, I've been falling asleep in some areas of my life. I got some areas that are dead. I got some dead dreams. I got, I got a, a ministry that I once wanted to, to see come to place, to come to fruition, and it's been dormant and dead in the back of my mind. I've got some hopes that, that have died off. I've got some passions that have died. I've got a marriage that needs to be brought back to life. I've got a business. I've got a family that needs to be brought back to life. If there's anybody in the room that say, Trey, I'm ready to come back to life today. Would you just lift up your hand right now? Uh, all across this room, I'm seeing hands go up all over the place. Can I tell you, let me just prophesy over you for a second that God's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. Young man, he is not done with you yet. There's still oil in your tank. I see you two right there. I don't know who you are. I've never met you before, but God's not done with you yet. He's still got something in store for you. He wants to use you. Come on, I want to pray over you right now and then we're going to worship together holy spirit we just ask right now that you would convict that you would comfort that you would move in this place and god i'm asking right now that over every person who needs restoration in their life who needs to be brought back to life who needs to be brought back from the dead you got to wake some things up in their life god i'm praying right now for that thing to be restored that dream to come back to life that marriage to come back to life that business that family that that parent that father that, that, that husband who's been slacking. God, I'm praying that he's coming back to life full of hope, full of faith for his family. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on.